Hey guys, welcome to podcast number 69. On this week's podcast, I have Thomas Kyle joining me. Thomas is a vet student at Washington State University. He is the incoming president of the VBMA club that they have over there. And he is also on the national board of directors as the marketing director for VBMA as well. Uh, Thomas does host a couple other podcasts, which I will have in the description below. Uh, One of which is the VBMA podcast, which myself and Dr. Riola were able to be a part of just about a month ago or so. So be sure to go ahead and check that out. But during that conversation, I really just wanted to uh, have an opportunity for him to come onto our podcast to talk about his story since we got to kind of tell ours over there. So he is a very interesting gentleman. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get to it. So um, joining the podcast today is Thomas Kyle. Uh, Thomas, you have a lot of different titles, as the internet has told me in the last few days here, but um, we met because of the VBMA podcast, which it looks like that's actually your newest project. Um, You had previously or are continuing to host the Wild Encounters podcast. Um, You were on the national VBMA board or um, student, is it a student advisory board? You'll have to, you'll have to catch me on that one. Um, and then, so you're the marketing director there and you're also the, how is it the new president or still current president of the, uh, Washington state VBMA. So lots of good stuff there. And all of that was essentially coincidental because I just found a cool podcast on Instagram (laughs) and was like, Hey, there's somebody that's doing something that seems relatively similar to what we are trying to do here clearly we need to talk and we had the opportunity to do that a few weeks ago where basically you and I sat back and Carlo talked at the both of us for about an hour and it was great um you know it was it was good to have him have that opportunity but in that exchange um you know I was just kind of observing from almost a third party's perspective I was like well Thomas is talking about all these cool things that he has going on over there too. So we got to get him onto the podcast to talk a little bit about himself and kind of what he's got going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I really don't know a lot about you. Um, tell me a little bit about your story. So I'm, I'm from Arizona, born and raised in the heat. Mm -hmm. And I went to the university of Arizona for undergrad. Um, I've known I've wanted to be a vet for a while, I'm not one of those people that was like, I've known since I was three, you know, like you meet those kids that were like, I came out of the womb knowing I wanted to be a vet. Like that wasn't, I wanted to be an astronaut for forever architect. And I landed on that. I wanted to be a vet. So all throughout college, I really pursued um, any opportunity that came my way. Uh, I worked at a zoo in Tucson. um, So I got to scoop poop a lot, which Mm -hmm. was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially rhino dung. There's a lot of it. And (laughs) uh, I worked at a, clinic near my college university. Um, I went out to San Diego, worked at that radiology clinic I talked talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sister uh, went to pharmacy school, but she did this fast track method of where she got in two years early. Okay. So the problem was that she set the bar like mm-hmm. really high in terms of the totem pole of kids. So I was like, okay, I got to apply to vet school a year early at least to keep up with her. 
Um, and so I was applying to all these vet schools and we don't have a public vet school in Arizona. There's okay. only private ones. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to pay $60,000 a year. Um, and I got into Washington state and they told me, Hey, listen, we'll give you in state through this program that we have and you can come up here. And I was like, that's a done deal. Cause I'm not paying an arm and a leg for vet school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to vet school and I was, I was so excited because, you know, that's your dream. Like college, I had been working, working, working towards getting into vet school. That was like my goal was vet school, but I didn't think past that. Okay. And when I got to vet school, the first week, um, I was really excited. And then after that, I felt like the most lost I'd ever felt. And cause I didn't know what to do. I was like, I've worked so hard to try to become a vet student. And now I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh crap. I got to think about the future. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to work with animals and I needed to be a vet to do that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so the VBMA is a student run organization. Um, basically where we talk all things business because science folk don't know anything. <laughs> about business, paying back loans. Yep. Like you bring up a Roth IRA. They're like, what is that calculus? Like (laughs) like, there's, there's no knowledge. And, um, I, I went to all the club meetings because you know, vet school, you're on a budget. You don't want to spend money. All these clubs are like, we'll give you free lunch for the first two weeks. If you come to meetings, I was like, okay, I'm signing up for all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was all pizza. So by the end of the first week, my stomach was having world war (laughs) three going on inside. And I was like, okay, I don't know about this. Yep. And VBMA was like, hey, we'll have Panda Express. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's really good. Um, and I came to find out later that VBMA prides themselves on the food that they give their students. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is a club I can be a part of. It's got good food. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I went to the first lecture and uh, I sat down and obviously being in the veterinary field, I had been told by so many vets, so many people like, hey, you're not going to make any money you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. Like you're going to get burnt. You're going to have to leave the field. Like what's your backup plan? Mm. And I was like, I don't have a backup plan. Like this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And during that first lecture, there was a a man who spoke and the very first thing he said, he, he said, hello. And then he was telling us that if you've been told that you're never going to make money and you're never going to be financially free in veterinary medicine, whomever's told you that has never talk to you about practice ownership Mm -hmm. and immediately like a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, wait, what is this? And I became very interested immediately out of the gates. I, I didn't really know what it was about, but I kept going to lectures and they're like, Oh, uh, you can negotiate contracts. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) They were like, yeah, you can, you can rebuttal. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. And then resume building workshops, how to pay back loans, Mm -hmm. investing, like property, owning property, things like things I'd never thought of that I gave all of the kids I was in a fraternity with crap for. Yep. Um, Yep. (laughs) But it, it really, it really sparked, it sparked something inside of me that I hadn't felt since I was trying to get into vet school. And immediately I knew that that's what I should pursue. Yeah. Um, So then I just dove all the way in and, applied for a position on my regional board at Washington state. Um, got that. That was a lot of fun. It's been fun. Um, I'm the current president there now. And then I went to the national meeting. Um, so we have a, the VDMA holds a national meeting every year in Orlando, except for last year. Cause it was virtual. Yep. Um, as everything was. And essentially all the officers from every VBMA board in the United States flies there 
to basically talk about how to make the VBMA better, to network, to learn new skills. And I got such such a rush when I went there. It like it made me feel so good about the field that I was in. It made me feel so happy talking to all these people. They're like, I own ten practices, and they're and like the work culture is great, the mentorship's great, everybody loves their life. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh. And so then I started looking into the national board, and I was like, what's this about? Mm-hmm. And I applied for that. Um, I got the marketing position, and. Um, I don't know about for you, but for me, that's like the most fun job in the world. Creating content is oh, yeah. like a blast for me. Mm-hmm. I love designing things. So mm-hmm. that's um, that's where I'm at now. And I'm the current marketing director. We've just got our new board. So they'll be coming in next year because the board switches every year because, yep. you know, students come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where I'm at now. So I'm, I'm in the middle of planning or helping plan our fall semester at Washington State and then uh, doing all things on the national level for marketing, awesome. sending out. Uh, swag for students, creating <laughs> newsletters, podcasts, um, things like that. But that's where I'm at now. And you're doing all of this while being in vet school at Washington State, correct? Yeah, that might be a poor <laughs> decision um, that I came across. Um, COVID made things a little bit easier, to be right. honest. You could do it all in one spot. One spot. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little nervous for this upcoming year, uh, mm-hmm. considering that we're going back to in person, which is great. I want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of things to juggle. Um, and I've tried to get good at time management. Mm-hmm. It's just whenever I find something I'm really interested in, or I really like, I mm-hmm. tend to dive into that. And yeah. like, I'm going to spend X amount of time studying for school. Mm-hmm. But when I'm done with that, I'm going to do all the other things that I like. And I don't go past that. I've gotten into the big like time box techniques where oh, I give myself mm-hmm. two hours to do certain yeah. things. And then after yeah. that, I do everything else. But yeah, I am awful at that. I've tried. I've tried the time or like just the the block scheduling and all that sort of stuff. And like every time that I've tried to do it, it's always been like the my phone rings and it's like something has to happen within the next twenty minutes, and I need you downstairs to do. And it's like it's it's not that I do it that often, but it's every time that I do it, that thing happens. So I've just decided <laughs> to not do it anymore. <laughs> Smart choice. Um, but yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about kind of your vet school experience. I mean, since you're in the middle of it, we have a lot of experience with, um, Michigan state's vet school. So we've been able to connect with a lot of different students at, at a lot of different levels. Um, some of our younger former staff, actually we have a few people that are going to UW Madison here in the next couple of weeks from our clinic. And we've had that happen pretty much every year for the past three, four years, um, and you know, we got little, you know, Kansas state, we got some connections in Iowa state. Um, but it's mostly local Midwest stuff and, um, everyone's a little bit different, but from a student's perspective, how would you describe your vet school experience within the, the learning side, not, not necessarily the club side to the, to, how do you explain this to your family? How do you explain that to kind of to the world? Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this saying, um, it's like trying to take, a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. Yeah. Um, very common saying. Yeah. Um, however, I love all of it. So it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And being in vet school, um, you really, where I go to school, we have a strong community. Um, and I never realized how important that was in terms mm-hmm. of vet school, any grad program or in life mm-hmm. in general is community is the most important thing that you can have around you, especially during stressful times. And Throughout my vet school experience, I've been surrounded by all these great friends, family that have been super supportive. 
The school has been awesome. The learning's great. We have a lot of hands-on experience. We have something called Open Lab um, where we can go downstairs um, to kind of this room where we can practice, you know, our suture patterns. We can practice procedures, um, ultrasound, endoscopy, X, Y, and Z. Um, And that's been really helpful because I'm a hands-on person. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing that I've noticed is since I was a first-year vet student, everything was normal, and then COVID happened, and now we're going back to in person now, everything's changed. Okay. Like, like so much has changed in, in the world in general, but in the veterinary field, I mean, I'm sure y'all have seen with your volume, which mm-hmm. bonkers right now. Yeah. So in, in terms of, of change, I've noticed that the way that students are learning is changing rapidly. I remember when I first went into school, everybody, almost everybody had a notebook. You know, that was how we do it. We, we write on notebooks. That's how I did it. My whole life was right. a notebook. Yep. And then slowly I was like, Oh, like someone has an iPad over there. Someone has like this Microsoft edge over there. I was like, Hmm. And so I got an iPad and I was like, Oh, I was like, this is way better than a notebook. I don't have to lug around 40 things. I was like, and if it gets lost, it's all in the cloud. Like it yep. doesn't matter to me. Yep. Um, I, for me personally, and for a lot of my friends, I've noticed that visual learning has become so much more apparent. And I was mm-hmm. trying to do research into this because I was like, why is this the case? Because, you know, we're used to reading a book mm-hmm. and then figuring it out, which you still will always have to do. Mm-hmm. But my generation and younger and a little bit older, we <laughs> grew up in this ADD mm-hmm. cartoon, like crazy, like super animated world where everything was shown to us. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got our information. We watched a ton of shows, YouTube for hours, and that's how we learn it. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that's how I learn now. Mm. And when I talk to older veterinarians who are, you know, in their fifties or sixties, it's, that is not the case. They just tell you, and then they expect you to just go do it, which is fine because that's how they learned. But from a learning perspective, it's all changing very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think clinics, a lot of clinics are having trouble keeping up with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I know the owner of our practice, we told them, we were like, Hey, why do we still have paper? Like, why don't we, why don't we have everything on a screen and then save a ton of time and money and go from there? And he's like, oh, well, nobody, nobody uses that. And all of our interns who are brand new students were like, no, we all use that. Yeah. And it was kind of a culture shock to him Mm -hmm. because he was like, what? Mm -hmm. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, Mm -hmm. how is that efficient? We had to like sit there and break it down for him about the efficiency of technology. And he was like, oh, Mm -hmm. he was like, well, we'll have to change that. So I see I see things changing exponentially, um, and it's not scary. I think it's fun, and I think it's going to be create new challenges for everybody. Mm-hmm. But where I go to school, um, they're trying to change with it, and I see them struggling. And so they're asking for student input all the time um, just because, like, how do you learn? Like, how do you learn best? Like, I love now being able to watch certain classes on, like, two times speed. Yeah. And I can take my notes down, I can pause it, I can do whatever I want. And I hated that at first. I hated that. I hated virtual lectures. Mm-hmm. But you know, some classes you're less interested in. So I was like, right. okay, I'm going to speed through this and I'm going to learn it. I'm going to get the study guide points down and we're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's really interesting to see how everything's changed in the past year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been fun. Good. Yeah, I, I actually I've been really kind of infatuated with that um, at, at previous points in my life because I learned... Um, right out of my undergraduate, um, that I am not an auditory learner. Like if somebody just tells me something, it is not going to stick. Like I am 
awful with names. I'm great with faces and I love engaging with people and like I will never forget like a person, but if they just tell me their name, it ain't gonna stick. And <laughs> um and I learned like it was kind of through that process of just like I really wanna because I, I focused really heavily on building relationships with people right out of college. And it was in that I learned that I sucked with names. I was like, well, how many other things am I forgetting when I'm just trying to learn things through auditory processes? And then I learned that I just don't remember anything when I do that that way. So there was a long time where I actually carried around a three by two notebook, one of them little spiral things. I was like, I'm going to write down everything that I feel like is important. And I never looked back into the book, but I started remembering everything because it was the tactile process of writing something down and then reading it where I hit two different phases of learning outside of just hearing it. And my memory went skyrocketing through the roof. Um, so it, yeah, it, it is, um, something that was, you know, then I got into iPads and I always, I always have one with me. Um, and really learning how I learn has been really big because I, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I've lived in the Midwest my whole life. Um, for context in the veterinary world, I would say probably about 40% of clinics that refer cases to us still have 100% handwritten medical records. Um, so there, that's kind of the world of technology that I grew up in. You know, I don't think we had computers in my school until we were in like fifth grade. Um, and I'm 30, so I'm not even that old. <laughs> so, um, it was something that, yeah, I went through that learning curve as well. Um, and now, and then it's, it's really just turned into like, okay, well, I know that this worked for me and now how can I can continue to project like, Hey, learning new things is cool to other people. Um, and that's really what brought me here to paw. So I worked on it as with a consulting company. Paw was a client and, um, paw was the people that were kind of acting in the way that you sounds like your, um, administration is at Washington state where they're like, give us feedback. Like we want to learn how it is that this is making a difference. Um, and because of their propensity to say yes to new ideas, it was like, well, clearly I have to go work over there. Cause some of the other clients that I had worked with and all that, there was a little bit more hesitancy to change because of the world that they grew up in. Um, which actually leads me kind of to my next question. Have you had much in the way of experience in working with the administration, even just like from that giving feedback perspective, um, kind of how has that been received? Um, how was that process going? Cause that's a, that's a big, big thing to kind of take on. Yeah. So, uh, to be honest, they, they've done pretty well. Um, and you know that they're trying as best as they can. And that's what I always remember. Yeah. Um, so that comes with a, but, and the, but is that they, as hard as they're trying, Washington state is like as darn near old school as you can get. Okay. Um, like all of our, a lot of our older professors, deans, associate deans, you know, they're in their sixties, mm -hmm. which is awesome because they've seen the world. They know what it's like, but mm -hmm. they're not familiar with how we are now working. And you can see the frustration in some of the students because mm -hmm. they're like, well, why don't we just keep it this way? And administration's like, well, we've done it this way before in the past, so let's keep doing it now. Like one, for example, for one of the biggest things that happened last year that everybody loved was usually you you go home for Thanksgiving break, you come back for two weeks, and you take finals, and then you go back home. Yep. And for people like me that are from Arizona, that's an extra eight hundred dollars to right. travel. 
Right. And that's a huge pain. But last year, they're like, all right, after Thanksgiving, don't come back. Like, stay home. It's great, whatever. And mm-hmm. we all loved that because it gave us extra time with our family. It gave us the break we needed from school. Mm-hmm. And we were able to complete all of our tasks at home, wherever we were. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about not doing that this year. And all the students were like, whoa, <laughs> we kind of need that. Like, we want that. And they were like, well, we've always done it the other way in the past. And I'm like, but we're doing it this way now. Yeah. And you can see them kind of like butt heads a little bit, which makes sense just because what are you going to do? Crap on the people that know that something's worked for 30 years? No, right. you're not going to do that. Like, you can't. You got to respect them. Right. And they've, they've received majority of the feedback very well, mm-hmm. and they've capitalized on it very well. So they've been able to change things here and there for us that have been great, um, especially from a virtual standpoint. Like I give them props, like most of these teachers and professors and administration didn't even know how to work a camera. Yeah. And I saw them for our anatomy lab when they made it virtual, they would have like one of the professors holding the camera. The other one would be pointing things out and it'd be so funny because it'd be like, is the camera on? <laughs> The camera on, be like, Lampa, you're you're on. It's recording. They're like, okay, all right, we're gonna get started now. And it was it was comical, but like yeah. they tried really hard to make it work. So, yeah. like, hats off and the utmost respect for them for trying to do it. And I know that there's gonna be more challenges in the future, mm-hmm. um, but I think they're starting to get the hang of it, mm-hmm. as as most people are who are able to change. And you know, the biggest thing that I've said is. This year, everybody said, like, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. Like, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. Like, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we will ever, ever go back to whatever we thought was normal mm-hmm. because we can never go backwards. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the veterinary field is you you got to be willing to move with the changes mm-hmm. no matter what they are or else you'll get stuck in the mud and you won't be able to get better. You won't be able to make your clinic better, your medicine, staff, nothing. Mm-hmm. And... I think if you're able to adapt to change and move forward, it's going to make you a more open-minded veterinarian in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's only going to do you good no matter how hard it is in the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. I, I guess speaking on that, I'm curious kind of what your impression is of, I guess maybe if you can isolate it down to three different groups. So one would be um, in, in the light of being open to change. Cause I'm really like, I have my judgments about the people that I live around just in my community and all that. But for you, um, what about how are clients with change now, especially now within the last year, how has that changed? How are, um, administrators and faculty are with change, but then also how are your student colleagues with change in kind of a general population sense? Cause I think you're, I think the VBMA crowd is going to be a little bit more prone to it just because there's, there's a little bit more of an innovator and early adopter mindset within that set of people. But I guess if you can you know, isolate that down, what's been your impression of that openness to change um, since, you know, basically last March. Yeah. So um, I'll put all three into one category okay. and break them down. So sure. in the beginning, everyone was frustrated with mm-hmm. change. You know, we set up a whole box outside of our clinic where we would go do our exams in the middle of the summer mm-hmm. in Arizona where everyone is sweating like crazy. So everyone was mad. Nobody was happy. Like it was all frustration. Administration was like, where'd this dog go? Where'd this client go? And the owners were like, where's my dog? It's been three hours and mm-hmm. they're waiting in their car, wasting gas. And so I would say that owners were frustrated 
in the beginning because we didn't know what to do. We had no normal plan. We didn't have like, okay, you come in, you check in, room, medicine, done. Right. It was like, okay, you come in and we don't know what's going to happen after that. So right. like owners, I, I think owners are less frustrated now than they were then, um, probably because they're used to it by now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it works is when change happens, where we all put up a wall real quick. We're like, uh-uh, that's weird. Like, I'm not familiar with that. I don't like that. But if that's the way that it is for a year or two, then you're like, okay, well, we've found out ways to deal with it. So clients have been frustrated. The nice ones are like really understanding. Um, and that's lessened over the course of the year. Like they've been coming nicer, more understanding, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, administration. I feel so bad for administration because they get like the brute end of all the crap that happens. And again, in the beginning they were frustrated, but um, I think administration is the most adamant about change um, because they're seeing all the behind the scenes things that are happening because of the frustration. Okay. Um, Like we just switched to a whole new computer system at our clinic um, to make things quicker, faster, easier. And that was because of administration. Okay. Um, They noticed we were lacking in a lot of those departments Mm -hmm. and over the course of the last year, they realized we needed a big change in that area. And they're like, okay, we're going to change this. And they're like, okay, we need more people. Like we need more uh, people to triage pets, like all these things. And so they hired on all these new people. Um, They've done a really good job. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's different everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Based on your administration, we have a really healthy administration. Like they're all great people that work for us. Um, They're the, they're the core reason we're still afloat. So as Mm -hmm. our, most administration for most clinics. Um, But, you know, they've been able to talk down some of the angrier clients like, Hey, we're really sorry, but like, we're working through this with you. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something new to all of us. And I think that their ability to be people and assimilate with how other people are feeling has been the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see the unhealthy administration, people Mm -hmm. go down the drain because they can't deal with it. And so that's the other side of the coin is they can't handle it. It's too crazy. Like I'm out, like I'm not doing this anymore. Um, But I mean, that weeds out, not necessarily the bad people, but the people that aren't going to be there to better the company necessarily. Right. And that wanted to pursue other avenues. So we, we've really gotten the best of the best where I'm at now, which is great. And then students, I guess Mm -hmm. over the last year, um, I think we all started out like hating virtual lectures. Um, I did. I despised it. I was like, this sucks. Cause I, I really like surrounding. I, I love talking to people. I mm-hmm. love being social. I love going to class, like chit chatting, BSing with people before class starts, asking the teacher questions, you know, seeing things on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in regard, I'll go in virtual and then I could just get shoved into my room and I stare at a computer for nine hours. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can't talk to any of my friends. I'm like, this sucks so much. <laughs> like, this is awful. Yeah. Um, but I think over the last year, because we had a full year of online school. Yep. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's mm-hmm. You're either going to adapt with it or it's going to break you. Right. And everyone like came to terms with it. And there were things that sucked about it because we couldn't do certain things in person that we needed to do, like anesthesia lab. Right. Like right. we need to know how to run anesthesia in person. Right. And they're like, we can't do that this year because of COVID. And we were all like, well, what the heck? Like mm-hmm. we need that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there were certain things that students are still frustrated about, just as we were in the beginning, but everyone has adapted really, really well. So where I'm at is I hated it at first, and then over time, I was like, how can I make this more efficient for me? Mm-hmm. And how can I make this better for my time management? Mm-hmm. And going through my recorded classes quicker, being able to take down my notes quicker, being and training myself to learn things quicker on the fly has mm-hmm. been my biggest takeaway. Mm-hmm. Because I've noticed that it, instead of being in class 8 to 5, I was in class 8 to 12. Mm-hmm. And so then that gave me 12 to 5 to do other things that I love to do my podcast, reach out to people I wanted to network with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I think you, it really boils down to the student's mindset about it. And even administration and client's mindset is what can you get out of this situation? Because mm-hmm. we can all sit back and say that, you know, it's terrible. We're all frustrated. We're going to be frustrated forever. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can say, well, what opportunity is this going to provide for us? Mm-hmm. And I think that mindset that switched in my head last summer real quick, Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make the most of this. And I started going down every avenue I could to search for opportunities. And that's where I'm at now is now I have a lot of time that I didn't have before. And I've been able to learn just as much and maybe even better. And mm-hmm. now I'm able to do all these things I love to do. Um, so it's kind of, it's been nice, but it's, it started out with me being like, this sucks. Right. More than like, it sucked more than when you got grounded and couldn't hang out with friends. Like right. that, that was I was like, this is awful. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, that's where we're at now. Where are you at within your actual veterinary school path? So like, are you, what year are you in? Kind of where are you at in terms of didactic and clinical learning? Yep. So I'm going into my third year now. Okay. So first two years, all classwork, yep. like coursework, 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 labs. Now we're going into our, what we call surgery year. Um, yep. So we have something called spay block. So they put us in groups or blocks and we all do a surgery. We all do a spay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have our core classes, but now we have our fun electives like orthopedic class, okay. um, clinical pathology, um, applied anatomy. Mm-hmm. So I'm now getting to the stuff that's like really fun mm-hmm. and I can apply all of the massive amounts of coursework that I've shoved into my brain and spit it out into things that actually matter and I can apply it to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. And then after this next semester, then you jump into rotations for that year and a half. Is it so? Uh, yeah. So I, I actually only, I only do a year of rotations. Okay. So okay. this fall semester is pay block yep. and electives. And so is next semester. And then come May, uh, then it's a whole year okay. of uh, clinical rotations. Okay. I know it varies between every school. It Some does. schools do the year and a half. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, Madison does a, so you have to track um, right after yeah. your second year. So then it gets like really tight on like what you can do and all that. So I, I find that one very interesting and yeah. I think they've had pretty good success with it. I can't say with absolute certainty cause I didn't go there, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's good. Cause that's, that's really, um, you're, you're kind of through, you went through the mud about, about as thick as it could get because it was second year is traditionally the hardest year. And then you take somebody who's an extrovert and you shove them into a room for nine hours a day. Yeah. That's, um, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are going to listen to this and be like, yep, I lived that life. Um, <laughs> but I can guarantee you that not everybody that listens to this is going to have that same growth mindset that you have. And that was the, that was really the biggest thing when we had talked on the phone the first time. And then once going through your, your the podcast for the VBMA podcast, it was like, Thomas has something that, um, not a lot of people naturally have. Um, I don't know where you're at in terms of confidence, 
that's a different thing. But um, growth mindset is something that is not natural um, in today's day and age. So we are we are perpetually um, educated by our um, culture, by our media to be negative, to be uh, within the drama dynamic, to have that victim or failure mindset. Um, but if you can head that off, um, a lot of things in life change. And I think you kind of alluded to that, right? So it's like you, you see a lot of opportunity and the way that you look at problems changes a lot, but it's also something that kind of, um, changes who's around you too, <laughs> where like Definitely. some people kind of weed themselves out. Um, but I guess with that, you know, looking at kind of the, the process that you went through, what, if you had any advice to anybody that has gone, is in the similar shoes that you are, what might that be? So I, I, I think going back to what you said about growth mindset, mm -hmm. um, I was, I guess I was, I was probably raised, uh, everyone's raised differently. Mm -hmm. um, I was always raised and it's probably not the right way, but it's helped me and it's, you can have a problem and you can sulk in it. And I think you should for a period of time and then you figure out how to move forward mm -hmm. and get on with it and move on with your life. Um, but I think it's important to feel those feelings. So mm -hmm. anybody who's in my, my shoes or is feeling the same way that I do, um, I think it's our job um, as vet students or as vets, as whoever we are, to help those people that cannot get out of that rut. And I did that last year with a couple friends who were really down in the dumps and could not move forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's perfectly reasonable to be stuck for a period of time, for a long time even. Mm -hmm. um, and I noticed how hard it was for a lot of a lot of kids. And I, I it was hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, but some people just can't get past that. You know, some right. people are just stuck right where they are. Um, my advice would be to help everyone that you can, but really help those that need it in reaching out to your friends, checking up on them, mm -hmm. um, seeing how they're doing with everything. Like that's what I've been doing this summer is I call my friends in Washington every couple of weeks. I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? Do you mm -hmm. need anything? Like, how are you feeling about this terrifying school year? We have to do surgery in a month. What are we going to do? Um, so I think it's, I think it's really important to keep that in mind, even if you are somebody who, has a growth mindset and wants yeah. to move forward and keep going. Yep. So the goal is to not do that and leave everybody in the dust. Yeah. Like yeah. that's not, again, it goes back to what I said in the beginning, the community mindset. Mm -hmm. Like we are all in this together. And mm -hmm. if we leave somebody in the dust, that's going to affect us later on. Yep. Um, and I, I, I really like helping people as best as I can and getting them to be better and feel better and actually have a passion for the field. Because mm -hmm. um, the amount of students I've talked to or texts and they're like, I'm burnt, I'm done with this, mm -hmm. like I'm out. And I'm like, well, like what's going on? Right. Like, let's break it down piece by piece and then we'll talk about how to fix it. Because my, my biggest fear was that I got into vet school and it's like a mountain and mm -hmm. there's the top of it is you're a veterinarian and you have to be successful, but you also have debt and all these other things. Right. And like, that is the only piece that you think about is way up there. And that's really scary. That was like, that weighed down on me for a while. I was like, oh gosh, like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends was like, well, it was like, nobody ever just climbs straight to the top of the mountain. Like you summit and mm -hmm. you figure out, you build it piece by piece. So you mm -hmm. figure out what the parts are that are bothering you and you fix it as you move along. And then you go to the next one and the next mm -hmm. one, and you're going to be stuck at some for a while. 
Um, and that's what I've tried to help some of my friends with. And yeah. my friends have helped me with that because yeah. I need help in whole other areas with school and stuff. And so I think it's, I, I just think that's really, really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't emphasize that enough because yeah. like we all, we all got to help each other, you know, mm-hmm. even with doing a podcast, like you talk, like talking about it, getting content out there to help people like, Hey, we're there for you. Like yeah. we all want you to get better. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's kind of the process that I've been thinking over the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I learned, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson, since you're more in the college world, I'm sure that there's been a lot of negative and a not a lot of positive, and I don't really want to get into that. But one of the things that he talked about in his book, Maps of Meeting, which is like the first book he wrote, and it took him like 18 years to write, and it is heavy, um, is basically um, you have order and you have chaos in your life. Like, and, and as as you continue to live, you continue to walk out into chaos and you make order out of it. And that's a very, very simple way of putting that point uh, that so I'm definitely oversimplifying this. But the thing that he really pushes in that is that there's no way for you to know how to solve the chaos until you get in and you make some order out of it. But until you actually take that step, you as soon as you take one step, you know more than you did a step ago. And then you're going to take another one and then you're going to continue to learn more. But if you try to solve the problem that's seven steps in front of you, all you're going to do is waste your time. Um, and that was something that really put into perspective. Like it made me really patient because I am definitely not a patient person. Um, I really, um, I, I want to get, to that point in life, right, to, to, to get to the top of the mountain, right? And everyone defines a mountain for whatever it is, but you're not going to solve that problem of getting there until you summit a few times because you're just going to have to acclimate. Um, and that's been um, probably the biggest thing in maintaining growth mindset for me because I've pretty much always had it, but I dip. Like I get to that point where I lose confidence in like I, I can't solve the problem that's way out in front of me. It's like it's just slow down. Like you're going to get there. Just just pump the brakes a little bit and figure out what's happening here. Um, so I think that's kind of a, of, of a similar idea there. But because of that and because of the fact that you are at a summit, one of the other interesting or curious things that I would like to throw at you is – um, you're somebody who's not afraid. You kind of brought it up to bring up or fa- face down problems and bring up solutions. Like let's acknowledge what these problems are and let's bring up the, like what, here's an idea. Like, I'm just going to put it out in the world. I'm not going to say it's right or wrong or indifferent, but let's see if this works. Um, what to you are the biggest problems that are facing vet med right now? And what are, if you have any solutions, what might they, they be? Yeah. Um, some of some of the biggest problems that I'm seeing, and it's been harped on a million times, is burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, simply, we have too much volume. It's too chaotic. Like we were talking about, people can't handle it because um, it's impossible to handle all that. Mm-hmm. Not get in. They're not getting paid enough for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of the solutions that my clinic does, and one of the one of the other uh, messages from my uh, owner of the clinic is. There's um, the amount that you pay your employees um, percentage wise should be anywhere between 18 and 24 percent of your of your revenue. Mm -hmm. And what they noticed is at the 18 percent, people were leaving Mm -hmm. because they weren't getting paid enough. 
at the 24% or higher, people were standing around not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so found this happy medium at like 20, like okay. 20% is a great amount. Sure. And that should work. That should work pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, we still found people getting burnt out mm -hmm. and it was really unfortunate. And so bump the percentage up a little bit. It maybe helps some, but money's not going to cure your burnout. Mm -hmm. Like that's not what the problem is. The problem is your brain is freaking tired. And the clinic I work at has, what they do is they provide free therapy sessions for veterinarians. Mm -hmm. And if you're burnt out and they darn near require it, yep. like you had, you gotta, you gotta go. Mm -hmm. And they pay for it. You can go and you talk to somebody about your problems and what's going on, how you're feeling. And they help you find solutions to those issues. Whether that means, Hey, I'm tired of working 60 hours a week. We need to cut it back to 40 for the next six months, or I won't be here in a year mm -hmm. or Hey, client communication, which is the other point I'm going to get to is client communication has been really, it's really hard mm -hmm. for vets because we aren't taught that at my vet school. We are, but a lot of vet schools, they're not taught client communication. Mm -hmm. So when you get angry clients, you get just, they're fuming at the head. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? Like, or really sad clients, you have to put down their family pet. How do you deal with that? A lot of vets are like, all right, here you go. And they leave. Right. Clients are yelling at them. Bad reviews come in. Administration gets mad. And that's a whole nother problem. How do we tackle client communication errors? Because that's huge. Like the amount of times I've had clients yell at me and get angry and at the vet and the vet can't take it. And they just walk away. It's mm -hmm. bad. Like it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, Client communication courses should be almost required in vet school mm -hmm. um, or even as required for continuing education. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, how do you talk down those angry clients mm -hmm. and how do you get them to a level of understanding so that everyone goes home free? Because I know that I we had a client lash out at us in the lobby and I had to go up there and, and deal with it. And it was really sad. We had like put down this man's dog the other day and he said we'd killed his dog and mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was this whole thing mm -hmm. and I took him outside and I tried to talk him down and it kind of worked, but I noticed over the next couple of days, it really weighed on me whenever I was talking to somebody and I was like, dang, like I wish I would have had better skills to talk to somebody like as a human, not yeah. as a vet anymore, as a student, as a tech, like as a human, yeah. how do we assimilate with these people so then we can make a healthier world and environment and mm -hmm. I think those two, those two problems are, are huge. Obviously burnout is, is the heaviest. Cause mm -hmm. you know, you, the biggest problem that I, I see is you go into one room and you have to put down someone's dog and the next room you go into you, it's a puppy and you mm -hmm. have to be happy or act happy mm -hmm. and all these vets put on a show and they're not feeling anything. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is, is we all kind of go gray. Yeah. You know, we yeah. stop, we stop feeling things that we need to feel because we're all told we need to block that out. Um, and I think we do need to, to some respect, but I do think that that's an incredibly toxic mindset to have is mm -hmm. just block these things out because mm -hmm. that, that builds a lot. And I see that with vets, like we had a vet leave cause he was burnt out. He's like, mm -hmm. I cannot do this. I need to go do something else. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that is sometimes you're burnt out and there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes you're burnt and like you are burnt and you're like, I'm not doing this ever again. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know that the veterinary field is not filled with just burnt out jobs. Like right. this field has so many avenues you can go down. Mm -hmm. Like you can work for insurance companies. You can go work for a pathology company. You can go work with the Marine Mammal Center, areas where you're not going to get 
burnt out and you're going to be a lot healthier and happier in your brain, which is the most important. Um, Those two issues I've seen a lot over the last couple of years. With with the burnout thing, do you think that it's a loss of centering of self? Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of what I'm seeing where like I I I think there's a lot of time and, and quality effort that's put into the concepts and the, in the reality of compassion fatigue, which is definitely a, re, a real thing. I'm not here to say that it's not, but I think of what you just alluded to where it's like, Hey, I have to be this, you know, this super sympathetic person in, in one interaction with this person. And then I have to completely flip a switch and be like an extroverted, like super happy other, other person. Right. And I think if, if the expectation is to continue to have to bounce around and be what the room expects you to be, you will completely lose who it is that you are. And because of that fact, if you're not who you are, you forget why it is that you're there. And then if you get why you're there, that's going to make the sad stuff hit 10 times harder because there's not a purpose behind it anymore. It's like, I just, I just have to bite this because this is just what I do rather than I'm doing this because this really is important. This really matters. Like having an end of life experience at, with a family and making that what it needs to be is a worthwhile experience for the patient. It's a worthwhile experience for the family, for myself as well. Um, but if I don't know who I am, it's really hard to justify that process. Um, so yeah, I, that's something that I think um, we've we've put in a lot of solutions here to try to make it where we don't let people lose who it is that they are. And I'm not going to say it hasn't happened in the past, and I'm not going to say it won't happen in the future. That's a, It's probably an inevitability. But one of the big things that we have is actually like, kind of have like an active call out process. Cause you can see it. You can feel it when somebody's like just off. Cause you know who the people are that you work with for the most part. And if it's just like, Hey, something's happening today, I'm not necessarily going to provide you a solution. I, but if you don't make the re if you can't define the reality of what this problem is, and let's start to solve it so that you can recenter back on who you are, whether that means you have to go outside and go punch something really hard or yell the F word really loud, or just go be, you know, go into your own space and go cry for 10 minutes just because you're sad and you need to let that out, whatever that first emotional response is, just, you got to let me know what it is. Because if you don't let it out, you're just going to hold on to it. And the next time that this happens, you're going to feel it again. And it's only going to be worse because you're going to be making up for lost time until the point that you don't feel anything. Um, So that's one of the big things that we've done is really just encouraging people to be who they are and know who they are. Because if you if you can do both of those things, the highly emotional experiences actually don't they they don't ebb and flow um, your psyche nearly as high and low. Um, the, the good points, you know, maybe they don't feel as good because you just, you're, you're probably a little bit of a higher high all the time. Um, but also those tough ones, you know, cause we, we, we live in an emergency setting. We know what tough clients are, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> that, um, you know, thankfully, you know, we've, we don't have to deal with it that, that much, but when they do occur, what actually happens is a really I don't know if it's a unique experience. I hope it's not, but it really feels good when it does happen is that our entire team completely bands together because no, but no one person is going to take that hit. 
Um, and we are, we know that we're there for the patient. We're going to do everything that we can to make sure that that patient can get the service that it needs within reason. Because if we're going to, if, if that person is going to go outside the realm of respect, if they're going to go outside, they're going to be actively disrespectful and actively like combative. That's not our problem anymore. Like they chose to make that problem for their patient and everybody like circles around everybody so that not one person has to be like, you need to leave and then eat that. Like just, just consume that process because you know, deep down you really wanted that patient to be served and it just wasn't going to happen. Not one person should have to take that. So yeah, I mean, burnout is, I think there's a lot of, um, pieces to it but yeah that's been our biggest solution is just be be you because the more that you are yourself i think the easier that it is yeah and i mean i think you bring up the really good point of people losing sight of who they really are um especially in you know in any sort of medical field it's it's easy to lose that Mm -hmm. it's almost too easy and again a big problem is that we don't have the tools on how to handle it and I think you brought a good point. We all band together. It's mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Like we all, we all need to be there with each other when things go south. Like we, what my mentor had a, a really tough day, like two Fridays ago. And I, I noticed it very outwardly. Like he was like, he, he's never mad and he's never short with people. He's always a friendly guy. And I could see him kind of turning mm-hmm. and I was like, Hey, I was like, what's going on? Like, what, what do you need? Like, how can we make it helpful? And he's like, I, he was like, I can't see like patients for the next little bit. Like Mm -hmm. I need, I need a break for a minute. Mm -hmm. And we were like, cool, like done. Like this is, this is what you need. And so we're going to give that to you. And it's really, it's a multifactorial issue in emergency medicine specifically. Um, just cause you're dealing with angry clients, you're seeing clients at their worst. You're not doing like your little vaccine appointments where people booked right. it out a couple months in advance. They just got a puppy and they're all excited. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this dog got hit by a car and it came in and you got to go give them the ultimatum real quick. Yeah. It's like, Ooh, like how, how do you deal with that as a human? Like there's yeah. no good way to go about doing it, but if you're all together, it's going to be better than if you did it by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I had a really tough day last Monday and things were just not not going well, like got some bad news. And like, when that happens, like you freeze at work, mm-hmm. like you can't, like you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And one of the doctors I'm close with was like, he's like, are you okay? And initially I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm just in a rut, like whatever. And I had one of the office managers come up to me and pull me aside. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Thomas, like something is, you, something's wrong. Like, you're not, like, you're not going up and saying hi to people. Like, you're not friendly. Like, you're not, like, you're just kind of secluding yourself. Mm-hmm. She's, and I told her what was going on. And she was like, go home, mm-hmm. take the next couple of days off and, like, let me know when you can come back. Mm-hmm. And she's like, go be with your family and friends right now because that's what you need and come back when you're ready. And I think having that type of administration and Mm -hmm. people around you to recognize that, like you were saying, like Mm -hmm. the call out, like that's huge. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I would have kept working all day and I would have been in a horrible mood all day. Wouldn't have talked to anybody. Like people would ask me to do 20 things. I'd be like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't make me do this. Right. Right. It's hard. It's really hard to recognize, um, especially with veterinarians, because we all think we have all this expectation on us from the whole staff. Like we can handle anything all the time. So Mm -hmm. for us to be like, I'm sad, like, that's like, you don't hear that a lot. 
but yeah. that should be said more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the vulnerability is massive. And if you have a, that, that call out process is just intentionally creating it. Um, and it's not, it's not meant to be an attack. And I think that's the biggest thing is when you have that community of people, because I'm going to digress a little bit before I finish that sentence is if you don't have a clinic that's ready for that call out, that could go really, really bad, really fast. But if you have a community of people that you know why you're there as a, as a, as a group, right? You have a a shared identity. You have a shared purpose. Um, that makes it much easier because now like I'm concerned for you as a person, because I'm concerned for the patients that you're about to go serve. And I'm also concerned for future patients because if you're in a bad mood and you piss somebody else off, that could completely ruin a relationship that needs to last for five more years. And we're going to, why are we going to try and force a square peg into a round hole when we know that we, we can handle it? Like if you need to go do your thing, you're going to go do it and we're going to, we will pick up for you because the next time that somebody else needs it, you're going to be more than willing to do that for them. And I think that, that give and take and just that assumed, um, kind of, uh, shared responsibility, I think is probably one of the biggest things. Yeah. One of the, one of the other fun things that our, our clinic does, and I keep talking up the clinic I work mm-hmm. at just cause I've worked, I've worked at a couple clinics. I've worked at probably six or seven clinics in my life. And yeah. you know, most of them are great. Some of them were God awful. <laughs> um, but the one I work at now is just amazing because of how they take care of you. Mm-hmm. And they do these team building things like yesterday, like 30 people went and went kayaking together Nice, and it was a totally out of work thing. Work paid for it. Like everybody mm-hmm. went, had fun. We're going rappelling next Wednesday and a couple weeks ago they went and did goat yoga and it's kind of this nice little break and for a lot of people that need it mm-hmm. um, where they can just go and have fun and not worry about work and they can actually get to know the people. So then when you go back to work, you can learn how to care more about those people that you spent quality time with, not mm-hmm. just work time. Right. Um, I think that's a cool aspect that I know a lot of, I know a lot of clinics can't really afford to do that, but even simple things um, after hour things is, is really critical. So, cause like that's when people open up, mm-hmm. you know, people don't open up at work much. Like it's, no. you gotta, you, it's, it's impossible to, but I think if you can get to know your coworkers outside of work, it'll make work better. Yeah. Um, that's what I realized. Like all these people I didn't know, I was talking to them. I was like, Oh wow. Like you just went through something very serious. Like mm-hmm. when I'm at work the next day, I see them. I'm like, Hey, let me take that patient from you so you're not dealing with a lot. And when something happens to me, like, hey, let yep. me take that patient from you. And it's a give and take, like you yep. said. And it's it, it's a it's a way to calm the storm. Mm-hmm. And storm's coming no matter what, but it's mm-hmm. a way to to kind of keep it at bay for as long as possible. And that was the clinic that was that's in Arizona, correct? Yes. So yes. are you doing any work well when you're at school, are you just working at the the vet clinic at Washington State? Um, no, no, I was going to, um, okay. <laughs> the roles that I took on for VBMA, yeah. um, my time yeah. is I would maybe have a couple hours a week to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of realized to not do that. And I need to take those hours to just like relax mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, cause I'm, 
I don't know, 20, 25 hours a week, maybe 30 for VBMA stuff with school. And I'm like, I, yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> so I overload myself with work on breaks <laughs> to save up for the school year, yep. which is not healthy, but it's kind of the way that I've been doing it. It's worked decently so far. And when we talked um, last, you had mentioned that you know, talking a little bit, uh, giving props to the administration at that clinic that you work at is they hired a buttload of people like they bought another clinic and it mm-hmm. was like 30 some technicians or something like I don't remember the exact numbers um my only question to that is how <laughs> do you yeah. do you do you have any insight into that process yeah I have a little bit of insight and don't quote me on this yeah, but this is good, the, yeah. so the the owner the owner of the practice is is a, a genius for lack of better words he um, buys and acquires very specific practices okay. as he goes along. So he's not a guy that's like, oh, it looks like a good deal. I'll yeah. buy it. Looks like a good deal. I'll buy it. It takes him a while yeah. to sit down and look at the numbers and buy it because he wants to expand every clinic that he that he buys. Yeah. He wants to make the medicine better. He wants mm-hmm. to provide the quality of medicine. He wants to make it awesome. And so what I noticed when I first worked there was the healthy work environment. And that was my biggest thing. Like everybody was friendly. Like everybody was there for each other. And like working in a vet clinic, I had never seen that before. Like Mm -hmm. it's usually some technicians hitting other technicians and Mm -hmm. doctors hitting technicians. And I noticed that the bad eggs that were at the clinic just got let go like that. Like they Mm -hmm. were gone. Like we're not going to deal with you. Like we need to keep our work culture up. So the vet that owns the practice, I think he owns nine now maybe um and the, including the one that just opened um and that's an emergency clinic and so they hired on a ton of new staff to mm-hmm. train to go there and they hired on eight new doctors well nine technically this year last year they hired on i think five okay. um and next year they'll probably do another eight if not more okay. um depend and the the goal of that is is to make sure that nobody gets burnt out Mm-hmm. So our interns work 40 hours a week mm-hmm. and they usually get weekends and they work overnights a very reasonable amount mm-hmm. and they get compensated very well. And I got the flyer from our office manager about the internship. And I was like, you don't get paid this much as an intern. What is this load of BS? Like you don't get all these benefits and all the 40 hours a week. I was like, what's 40 hours a week. I've never heard of that in my life. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the owner and he was like, well, when you when you have enough practices and you're able to have that amount of equity with you and you have that cash flow going, mm-hmm. you're allowed to pay your staff more. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can shell out more. And I've noticed that every intern they hired last year works for them now. Okay. And I'm sure every intern they hired this year will work for them mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's because of it's the way that they set it up with you're financially good to go. Mm-hmm. You're great. And then you have a healthy work culture, working 40 hours a week. Like, it's amazing. And obviously, it is still difficult for us to hire technicians specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to hire vets and techs in general just because mm-hmm. there's a deficit. No one's getting paid enough. It's hard. Like, it sucks. It's like you're always going to be lacking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the word got out about the clinic being a really good clinic to work at. Because, um, you know, techs will talk crap at other clinics all the time. And because that's like, that's what they love to do. Um, or some people, at least some people. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't put that in a broad. Yep. Umbrella there. But uh, some people, I mean, I did it like I was like, that clinic sucks. Don't oh, work yeah. there. Oh, yeah. um, I tell everybody I'm like, come work at the clinic I'm working at. And up at Washington, I'm 
yeah. I've convinced a number of people to apply for the internship because I'm like, you will love your life here. Mm-hmm. Like there are days that are going to be hard, but you're going to love it. And um, I, I don't want to say word of mouth is how they were able to hire people, but it's, it, it's got to be something close. Yeah. Um, do you know, they don't have a big marketing presence. Do you, like, know, that's what I've noticed. do you know how long he's been working on that, essentially on that project of like being of that, like I'm going to grow this into you know, the, buying these clinics. How long has that kind of been going on? Um, I think that, so when he graduate, I think he graduated in the nineties mm. and after he bought his first practice, mm-hmm. um, his whole story is his dad was really bad with money and that made him want to be really good with money. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of found a tinkering like I did with business mm-hmm. and he loved it. And he realized that once he was able to build a healthy clinic, he wanted to make more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to build something that was good. And he's not a guy that's like there for, for the money. You know, he drives a 99 like Toyota Land Cruiser. Like he's like, in, like he could buy a Ferrari if he right. wanted to, but right. he puts almost all of his money back into his clinics. Right. Like we do, we do CTs for every dental. Like we don't have dental rads. Oh, like that does, like it's wow. just included. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never heard of it before. And so every dental gets a CT and dentals are $350. And it's like without extraction. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's 350 for cleanings. And then, yeah, yeah, once you get into the extractions land, it gets a little bit more, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it's still, I mean, including a CT though, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I, he, as far as I know, he's the only one that's ever done that. But yeah. he told me, he was like, you can't just front that kind of money for a CT machine unless you can afford it. And yeah. he broke it down, like how he was able to put the numbers together and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just bought a ton of new uh, cages, um, oxygen kennels, and he just bought, we bought the building next door. He turned it into a whole surgery center. So now we do all of our surgeries in a separate building. Nice. Um, ER obviously does their surgeries in ER, but yeah. we're scheduled dentals and surgeries and our conference room is all in a separate building now. Sweet. Um, it's really, I don't know if he just has a ton of business debt or if he like, can actually afford to buy all these things, but yeah. like his practice that he just bought was, that was not, that couldn't have been cheap. It's like, I think it's like 10,000 square feet. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. That's, it's not cheap. Do you know roughly kind of what, when the acquisition process goes through, um, from a staff, uh, retention perspective, do you know roughly kind of what he sits at? I don't. Um, I would be curious on that one. Yeah, that would be, that would be good. Um, I do know that since I have worked there, um, I've been externing, I extern there over winter break just to give it a go. Then working there all summer. Mm-hmm. Um, no one has left. Okay. So, which is good. We've had, you know, we've let people go for right. extraneous reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's quit. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of nice. Uh, I think that I know, I mean, I, based on anecdotal evidence of other clinics, his retention has been very well. Yeah. Um, and it comes down to also who's running the clinic, like his medical directors of the practices, his other practices he has mm-hmm. are amazing people. Like the new medical director that he has for this new clinic is like the sweetest lady. Who's the smartest woman who's super caring, like super empathetic, but like knows when you need to get stuff done. Yeah. And, um, whoever's running your practice is going to ultimately determine that. Mm-hmm. And same with office, like management, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like you got to have really good people in those areas mm-hmm. for it to trickle down the line. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's not going to end up well, but yeah. he's, I don't know. I, he's done a really, uh, really good job 
with buying practices because I'll send him practices for sale on the weekly basis. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, you should buy this one, this one, this one. He'll sit down with me. He's like, this is why we can't buy this one and we mm-hmm. can't buy that one and we can't buy that one. He's like, that's interesting. He's like, we'll look at that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but he's he's very particular about the practices he buys. He's not like a corporation where they just want to like right. acquire yeah. a ton. It's not about acquiring. Yep. Um, it's about spreading the quality of medicine is basically where he's at, which is cool. Yeah, that's probably been the biggest thing of like a culture shock for me from because I again my experience in the vet world has been here at Paw. I don't have any real context outside of it but um, learning what that corporate buyout process is like is just brutal because they because what the the thing that I got to give you guys credit for um, and not let it get past us is the idea of that growth like I'm not buying something to buy cash flow I'm not buying something for revenue I'm buying it to grow it those are two very, very different processes. And corporate doesn't necessarily, some probably do, but I don't know who they are. But generally speaking, if you have an acquisition group, they're not buying it for the sake of growth. They're buying it for the sake of revenue. And they're gonna and they're gonna cut cost to increase margin, not grow revenue to increase margin. And when we grow to grow revenue, you increase expense. So they absorb all the office stuff, they absorb, you know, a, a lot of the property management and receivables and paying bill, like all of the, all of the things that can happen in an isolated area and be done over the mail essentially. And then let the other, um, you know, the quote unquote hands-on or medical, um, items kind of run themselves as they had. Um, I do not like that process at all. <laughs> like, no. and I've seen no. it happen in other industries too. And it just doesn't work because what happens is you cut, they, they're, there's no right answer on what to cut. You're going to piss somebody off. And as soon as you piss off the wrong person, you lose half the people and the other half stay because they feel like they have to. And then you're just, you're just so far behind the eight ball at that point. And I, I just, I don't think that that's the way that it should be. Um, so I'm glad that that's not what's happening over there. Um, yeah. because that's it to have somebody that's willing to have that entrepreneurial mindset that is based in like actual good practice is pretty, pretty cool. So, um, is that, is that your hope then is to stay down there once you graduate? Yeah. So the, the program that I'm going through, um, basically offers me in-state tuition in Washington, as long as I come back to Arizona for four years, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I could always see myself, uh, I guess, working elsewhere, um, but I, <laughs> I want to, I want to work um, here probably for the foreseeable future, um, just because it's the, especially the clinic I'm working at now. I've never seen something like that in my life, and I really, I really want to pursue something that's healthy and that can possibly lead me to the opportunity of practice ownership in the future. Right. Um, but I'll be here for at least four years after vet school. I know that um, after that. Who knows? Um, I really got to figure out what I want to do with my life, um, especially how a family ties into that because I'd love to, you know, have one of those one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of do what's best for them and do what's best for me because, you know, you do have to be selfish a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but you do also have to be looking out for others. So hopefully hopefully back here for a number of years. Um, as hot as it is, I love Arizona. Are you, um, are you originally from Arizona? Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. when I went to eastern Washington and it was snowy all the time, I was like, hmm. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I like ice that much. Yeah, <laughs> which is very different from someone who's raised in the Midwest. Like I was going to say, I go, I go to Vegas or Reno basically once a year because I bowl and that's my hobby. So nationals is always out in the desert, 
And every time I go there, I just want to die because it's so <laughs> damn hot and the sun hurts so bad. Oh. It's just like I can't stand in the direct sunlight because I feel like I'm boiling instantly. Whereas I rarely snow blow in more than jeans and a sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> so very, very different worlds. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's all about where you were raised yeah, to like yeah. being raised in Arizona. I'm used to the sun. My parents yep. were raised in the Midwest in Nebraska. They were like, this is crazy out mm-hmm. here. <laughs> when you're in the sun, you feel the melanoma sitting in <laughs> like, Oh Jesus. You're like this is going to be bad. Yes. Yeah. It's all uh, about where you were raised. Um, another question, and I think this will be kind of a good, uh, wrap up point. Um, as I can, as people make it to this point, they're clearly podcast listeners. Um, again, you host two different podcasts. So we've got wild encounters that you've had before the VBMA podcast and now getting into the VBMA podcast. Um, what are your goals with either of them? What are you hoping to do? So I'll start with the VBMA one, um, just because that has kind of more set goals to it. Yeah. Um, the VBMA podcast I did, one, because I love talking to people and making podcasts. Two, um, I think we really need to put more quality information out there for students to hear, mm-hmm. um, whether that be how to buy a practice, um, what a profit and loss statement is, what your investment portfolio is, if vets know what investment portfolios are, you know, some don't. Um, my goal for that is to provide quality and knowledgeable content to students and even veterinarians mm-hmm. to actually learn and be able to grow in the field um, and talk about things like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, be able to kind of encourage people to become excited again about the field that they work in and all these opportunities. Get people on that talk about various opportunities. Like there's a there's a podcast called uh, the Veterinary Success Podcast with Isaiah Douglas. Okay. And it's one of my favorite uh, veterinary podcasts out there because he talks with all of these crazy people in the field about veterinary opportunities, like veterinary architects. Like mm. you talk to dictation people about like what does dictation look like in the future and just providing content. So you're going to be giving people opportunities with hopefully with these upcoming episodes that they didn't even know were possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe office managers will listen to it and be like, huh, right. maybe we should do that or we should look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my goal at the VBMA. Yeah. Um, I, I really just want to provide content. Mm-hmm. Um, my other podcast, Wild Encounters, um, I'd always really, again, say it a million times, I like talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like hearing people's stories. Um, I really like hearing like where people are from, how they got to what they're doing and what they're currently active in. Mm-hmm. And with that podcast, it was more like me being in COVID being like, I need to do something. And I'd always thought about starting a podcast, but I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, and I talked to a guy that does podcasts a lot and he showed me the ropes. And um, I just started talking to these people around the world that play or do or work with crazy animals. And I was just getting their stories like the, my most recent one was with a veterinary astronaut. Like he was telling me all about his travels to space and he's a veterinarian. I was like, how did you do that? Like that's right. my childhood dream. And then my current dream right. mushed together. together. Give me the details. And you know, I tell my, tell my girlfriend, like, I want to go to space now. She's like, well, how long will you be gone for? And I'm like, listen, it doesn't matter. Like it's fine. But that, um, you know, long-term goal for that podcast is I would, I want to keep it going as much as I can, just cause I, I think it's really cool to hear people's unique stories from like Australia, yeah. New Zealand, Europe, wherever. Um, yeah. and just talking about their fun stories with animals. Cause I think it brings light to the situation. I would love 
to make a Wild Encounters TV show one day, though, where yeah. I go to those people where I talked with and do the things with them. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lady that dives with sharks. Might have to talk with her. Might want to reconsider that. But <laughs> those those types of things, just more for fun. That's more for uh, strictly hobby purposes. Yeah. No, that's really cool because um, I think it's one of the, that's one of those things that from a production perspective is really reinvigorating because if you're going through that, right, it's like you're not doing it for – you know, to monetize necessarily. Like if that happens, great. But if not, it's okay too, because it's really fulfilling to go through that process of just learning about somebody else's experience because it's just flat out interesting. And it's like, man, I just have more energy because this person just basically installed it into me by sharing who it is that they are and what it is that they do. So yeah, as, as much as yes, it takes time and effort to coordinate, schedule, actually produce, edit, post, actually create a following, all that stuff. It's um, it's one of those things that you know, in my the last podcast, which is going live as it's Thursday and it's happening like right now, roughly. Um, I talked to Rebecca and Amy, who are both uh, third year MSU vet students, and they have a big involvement with the house system that they have over there. And they were like, you know, I, I spent all this time that I should have been spent, I should have spent studying, but I'd spent all this time on the house system because I really cared about it. And I was like, yeah. And did you lose out on any of your schoolwork? Well, no, it's because you did the schoolwork process faster because you had more energy to actually get it done. Uh, Simon Sinek, if you are unfamiliar, we actually talked about him on the VBMA podcast. Uh, he, he just posted a video a couple days ago. It was, there's a parable about two lumberjacks that they go out into the woods nine hours a day. And one of them just cuts wood nine hours a day. And one of them leaves in the middle of the day and um, for an hour. So he's only cutting for eight hours. And the other lumberjack goes up to him after a few years of getting completely outperformed. The guy who's who takes the break always outperforms the guy that doesn't. And he's like, how do you cut more wood than me? He's like, well, I go home and I sharpen my axe. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> like, just take the time to do it right. And you need energy to do that. So it's awesome that you've been able to uh, basically get over the hurdle of that, that, especially that first couple. You know, it's frightening to start an adventure like that. But if it is something that you have in the front of your mind and you just have to get out into the world, like that's my biggest piece of advice. You just go out and do it because even if three people listen to it, you got to go through that creative process and there's a lot more juice to follow it. So, um, Go check both of those podcasts out. I will go ahead and have links in there for everybody as well in all of our descriptions and whatnot. But um, what do you got, Thomas? Any final thoughts? I mean, I think that that's a pretty good pause point. Yeah, um, I think final thoughts. Um, I've, I've definitely done some digging on y'all's, on y'all's company <laughs> and, and podcasts and whatnot. You know, you got a little bit. Um, I, think, I think what your company is doing is awesome. And I think it's innovative and I think it's ahead of the curve. And I think that's going to be important moving forward. Um, and I think it's really awesome and to be able to have the opportunity to talk with people like you and companies like yourself that are trying to make the field better. Because mm -hmm. um, you don't see that with most companies. They don't care. Like mm -hmm. they could, they don't care at all. And so I, I think that moving forward, we need to make sure that we stay on top of things like this. Yeah. Um, you know, talking, putting more content out there, um, just getting better information out in the world. And I think that your company is doing that great. I think the clinic I work for is doing it great as well. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, maybe one day working together will lead to an even greater outcome. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I think, it, I think it's been, it's been good to talk. Yeah. Um, so thank you. I appreciate you having me and, uh, 
we'll uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's always more internet to be bandwidthed. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and take us out. Uh, thank you very much again, Thomas. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank <laughs> you.